Hey, Pumpkin Spice podcast listeners. It's Rob, back again with new episodes for you. This season, my buddy Bill and I are bringing you every single Predator film, starting with Prey today on this very special episode of Pumpkin Spice Podcast. So stay subscribed or go hear even more episodes over at Bill and Rob's An Excellent Adventure, another podcast feed that is more than just spooky episodes. Now, a couple of things to get through to you before today's episode. There will be more episodes in this feed. There will be more spooky movies covered. You'll just need to stay subscribed throughout the entire year. But to have more consistent podcasts in your feed, make sure to subscribe to my comedy reality TV show podcast, Vanderpump Robs, as well as the aforementioned podcast, Bill and Robs, An Excellent Adventure. And there's even more you can find over at the Bridgeburner Podcast Collective. Go to bridgeburner.page to see even more podcasts that you may enjoy. All right, on with the show. Welcome to Bill and Rob's An Excellent Adventure. I'm Bill Tilly. And I'm Rob Schulte. And Bill, it's a big day. Huge, in fact, actually. You know, uh, larger than life would even admit because uh, we've been working long and hard on our Predator series over many, many months. And we've released four episodes that are movies on the Predator bubble. But we're like, we cannot start the Predator series until... Prey finally drops. They've been hinting at it for a while. They've been telling us it's going to come. And we're like, finally, August 5th, it's here. We're going to record the day after, and we got to get a guest. The pop culture aficionado, host of Kevin Geeks Out, among many, many more things that we'll talk about throughout this episode. It's Kevin Marr. Hey, Kevin. Hello. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. This is exciting. And honestly, I'm going to show my hand right off the bat. I can't remember the last time I was on a podcast talking about a really good movie. <laughs> how, how novel. Yeah. yeah. And relate. It's the whole the whole thing we've been trying to establish with this is like we're through with hate clicks. You know, like there's yes. so much there's and there's things that we can poke fun at and have fun with. But like sometimes it's just nice to enjoy watching a film. But I, but I also think and, and I'm sure the two of you have had to do this. I've, I've heard you do it on the podcast where you have. A movie that like you are the defense attorney like no this actually is enjoyable i know it has it's a charles band production but let me explain why it's actually a lot of fun you know like, it's sometimes this uphill battle as opposed to like wow this is a good enjoyable film that i a got a slog lot if you yeah. will it sometimes is very hard to defend your love 
It just is. And it's, it's something that Rob and I, it's the reason we started this show. We're just like, we get so much enjoyment out of so many things, things that people will technically call bad. And it's like, well, what do you mean by bad? Like I go to a movie to be happy and watch it. <laughs> I don't go into it to feel worse. So yeah. if you can come out the other side with some good stuff, share that along because maybe you missed it on the first run, or maybe sometimes you just need a movie Sherpa to guide <laughs> you through this process. So, and so we couldn't be happier to have you as our Sherpa today, Kevin. <laughs> yeah. I am not a predator super fan, predator gatekeeper, where I'm not like, in 1987, they made the greatest film of all time. And it's the predator. It's predator. Uh, not to be confused with the predator. Excuse me. No. Um, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah. So it's just nice that like I'm a casual enough fan where it's not like a Star Wars fan or, or Bill, I'm sure you know people in the, the Star Trek fan universe. Uh, for me, Planet of the Apes guy, I can I'm, I take the original saga very seriously, but I can enjoy the recent ones. So it was such a pleasure to go into this very light, breezy, casual, like there's not a lot for me at stake. I don't know how, how the two of you came to it. Are you, would you lead with the self-identification that you are a Predator fan or super fan? No, I wouldn't. I have too many favorites. I love a lot of things. So I have a lot of experience watching movies and I don't tend to dig in to a lot of the background of them unless there's something really there that's really interesting. I tend to lead towards now is focusing on, is it a good story? Is there, and if there's a story behind it, I, I'm interested to hear it. So I, I'm like you, I, Every movie can be somebody's first movie. Stan Lee used to say that about comic books. Everybody's that the comic book is somebody's first book. So yeah. movies should be able to be looked at right from the get-go on whichever one you jump into and you kind of get the idea of it. And if you can do that, then it's great. And that can lead you to the other thing. So, but I I purposely try to avoid being the super fan. I can because I have I've watched a lot of Star Trek in my but it's been around forever and there's been tons of it so i think that super fan thing can also relate to how much of it is there for you to get into and yeah. be a pedant about luckily predators not so and i'm not ever somebody that's going to try to convince you that this is the best or it's my favorite it should be yours just want to talk about it and have a good time so that's that's where i come from on this side yeah and i just to piggyback on that I'm not a super fan, but I have always just been fascinated by the Predator series. It feels like as I was growing up, they were always movies I didn't see, but I knew existed. Um, you know, I was maybe five when the first Predator came out, so I wasn't going to see that one. But then once I was in junior high or high school, when they started doing Alien versus Predator, it started to be this thing of like, well, what are these movies? And it wasn't until... I mean, we we'll talk about it uh, in a later episode, but, you know, it wasn't until later in life that I actually sat down and watched Predator, the Schwarzenegger Predator. And I was like, this is not the movie I thought it was. And I was so surprised by like, it's also like watching First Blood for the first time. Like I had so much what I thought a Rambo movie was or what I thought a Predator movie was or what I thought an Alien movie was that when I actually was able to sit down and watch them, it blew me away. Well, it's fascinating that of all the movies you could bring up is uh, First Blood, <laughs> because when I saw Predator like three years ago as an adult, I'm like, oh, this is a movie about Vietnam. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> I think in 1987, that would have flown right over my teenage head. Yes. And watching it uh, as an adult, it was like, 
oh, this is one of those movies that's, you know, like Robert Altman's MASH. Oh, no, no, it's not about Vietnam. It's totally about Vietnam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sure is. We got to get yeah. that laugh track out of here to uh, take it really serious. <laughs> and Kevin, um, it's one of the things about the show is the reason Rob and I have a little, have a bit of an age gap between us, roughly about 11 years, Rob. Just about. Somewhere near. So a it's really school range. Yeah. So it's really fun because there's things I saw first time Rob didn't see till later, vice versa. Mm -hmm. And that's part of what we do this for is that's why we have a, a question structure because we'll watch a thing and be like, I wonder what Rob would think of this. And it's fun to listen to. So it's really interesting to get that other perspective from somebody else, either fan, not fan, kind of takes care of the super fan thing in a lot of ways for us. And when we saw these films, regardless of when they came out, had an impact on us based on our life experience at that time. And I think when we bring in guests, when it's just Bill and I, depending on when the movie came out, really, I think, informs how the podcast goes. And with that, I think we should get into our first segment. And it's a segment we like to call Mission Briefing. Bill, the Mission Briefing is the most exciting part of the beginning of the episode because it starts all of the segments that everyone loves. We know this. The letters are coming in. They're, it's hard to even keep up. It's like Santa Claus is here. We just got to keep it going. Uh, I'm going to give a little synopsis on this film brought to us by the Internet Movie Database. You know, I scoured all of the different areas where they try and give us the one-sentence description. I think this is the best. And it's probably a good idea that we give everyone a warning right now that we're going to be talking about this film. So if you haven't seen Prey, uh, if you don't want spoilers, there will be spoilers on this episode of the podcast. Hey, and maybe you like that. Maybe you need a little prep before going into a movie. And that's cool, too. So... Synopsis of Prey, 2022. The origin story of The Predator. In a world of the Comanche Nation, 300 years ago, Naru, a skilled female warrior, fights to protect her tribe against one of the first highly evolved predators to land on the planet Earth. Naru, of course, played by Amber Midthunder. Incredible performance. Bill, did I get that synopsis? on point was there anything you would add to that kevin would there be anything that you would add to it i'm gonna call bullshit on origin story okay admittedly it's the early 1700s it's the first appearance of a predator in the chronological timeline of the of the seven films this is not an origin story <laughs> i completely no. agree and as we talk about later in this series and bill i think you brought it up in a maybe the edge of tomorrow episode but we talk about how the predators are these these hunters, these beings that are are you know using weapons they've crafted, but also have like mathematicians back home to build spaceships. Yeah, so, they never see the predator infrastructure. We never see the accountant predator. We never see the welder predator. That's always the thing, and that goes back to a lot of movies when you've got a a monoculture. We are warriors. It's like somebody built your stuff. <laughs> Somebody build it. Somebody keeps it running. Like you look at the guys that you see on screen when you see a predator and it's like, you are not the person who is filling up the tank and wiping the windows on this thing and taking care of stuff back up. You're not. So it's always that part of my brain that I have to try desperately to shut off because if I go down that track, it just kind of blows the entire premise out of the water, but it's fun to think about. So this is definitely not an origin story. There's no way that's clearly been around. So I think that's just a, a miscommunication in the IMDB page. My question for the panel, 
have you over the course of these films filled in backstory of what it's like on the predator home planet it feels like it's like a nomadic area like every predator for themselves but Mm. then that can't be the case because they're constantly communicating back to other ships or other predators and we know you know spoiler alert for future episodes and future movies like they are combative with one another but they have to have some sort of like interlinking objective and goal to be able to even even send anyone out so it almost feels like a we communicate and work with each other to an extent but in my own area i'm walled off i'm this is my predator hut and i'm gonna live here until i take my ship somewhere else oh i've taken a completely different tact i've had this discussion because my fiance watches a lot of these movies with me and she actually came up with this theory that everything we see in the predator movies this is their triple a triptych so all the predators we're seeing are a certain group of them they get sent off on their triptych from the predator planet and i think the people that the predators that run that planet totally different race maybe totally different size shape they're the ones that get stuff done. This is though. This is the crazy warrior cast that they want to go to Burning Man for a week and just have at it. So they put them on the ships, send them out. And I think it tells because you'll notice when they send the Predators to Earth, they California roll them every time they get off. They don't land. They don't let them walk off. They shoot them out of tube or drop them out of the sky. They're just like, we're not even stopping for you, dude. They open the door and kick it out like a malfunctioning eight track into the street. <laughs> And that's how they roll. So that's my theory is just like, we're just seeing a small percentage of the predator species. And this is the one that big game hunts for fun. And maybe someday we'll see that other movie where we see the rest of it. Well, I have a vision that's kind of in line with that bill, which is you think of mid 20th century America guys working on Madison Avenue who are like executives by day. And then they're like, I'm going duck hunting this weekend. (laughs) And I'm going to be a real man. They they have a whole other life. And this is where they like blow off steam all year. I look forward to my hunt on the green planet. Wow. I love it. I love that. I think that's perfect. You guys are blowing my mind uh, because now all I'm thinking of is when the predator comes to Earth or whatever planet the predator goes to, it is uh, Westworld for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. where they go to like do the things they can't do on their own planet for some reason. Which yeah. is amazing to think that um you remember in the movie They Live, there's a guy who's a uh he corroborates with the aliens. I like the idea that there's a sellout human travel agent mm-hmm. <laughs> who is in contact with the predators being mm-hmm. paid in wampum. And uh, he he tells them where to go. Yeah, I'm going to say it's one of Paul Burke's ancestors from Aliens. He started this whole thing, and they just continue it right up the line. I like it. Oh, I see uh, you're visiting 300 years later. Well, now you want to go to a country in South America. You've already visited North America. Come on. There's a different climate. You're really going to love it. Um, Lots of muscle men and polo shirts. It's going to be great. Bill, do you think it's time that we move on to military intelligence? Yeah, I think it's time in this case we uh, go in way back into the redacted files. Yeah, as we mentioned before, Amber Midthunder, she plays the main character, Naru. We've got Dakota Beavers as Tabe, her older brother, uh, directed by Dan Trachtenberg. He's a 10 Cloverfield Lane director. Now, 
There are some other actors within here, but those are the people we see the most throughout this film. And this is not a retread of the Predator movie we've seen before, which is kind of what I expected going into it. I kind of expected a tell the same story, but different, which is a classic Hollywood formula, especially this day and age. And it really takes a minute to get to the Predator ring, which is kind of fun. I like seeing the way of life and I kind of, I kind of dig that we also get these side views of the Predator, which is kind of like what we get in the first movie, but it feels like a fuller world. We kind of get to see a way of life better than we have in other movies. Um, I do want to say, though, that one of the fun facts I found out is that the feral uh, Predator helmet, the skull is supposed to be the face bones of another predator that that predator has defeated. And it expands Mm -hmm. that world even further. Like we get a lot about what's happening in this area of North America, but just the subtle hint that there's so much more going on with the predators themselves uh, was really, really cool. It suggests that there was a predator version of the most dangerous game. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Predator hunting predator. Yeah, more like probably Predator naked and afraid and dying. <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad you told me that, Rob, because I'm watching that. And I honestly wouldn't have made that connection. What I looked at it was it kind of looked like the front of a xenomorph head. It was so smooth Ooh. that I thought, is this movie seriously getting rid of the alien versus predator thing and still doing a callback to alien versus predator, like a double switch on me? What is this thing? that I'm looking at because it not only looked like that, it actually looked like the hybrid alien from aliens resurrection with security, the white one. I'm like, all right, let's go with that. I, I purposely went in cold. I knew I avoided trailers. I knew nothing about it. And I really enjoyed it that way. And one of the things that stood out to me is that it was less like trying to emulate a previous predator movie. And it really reminded me of jaws and something you see in certain animal attack movies where like, oh, yeah, we we caught the monster. We're good. Everything's fine. It's like, no, you didn't trust me. No character who probably knows better. We're going <laughs> to tell you you're wrong. And and there's I love the literary tradition of um, stories where kids know what's going on and the adults shun them. But then the kids end up being right. And Naru, we I really am not sure how old or young her character is supposed to be, but I think the point of the story, I don't want to miss the point of the story, is that she's a woman. She's being told, you don't know what you're talking about. The men do. So just leave it leave it at that. So I really appreciated that it was falling into a category of like a kid, an animal expert, or a woman who knows best, and the leaders of the, the tribe, the society, tell them no. We know best. Get out of here. And they get to uh, get their comeuppance in one way or another. In a big way. Yeah, there were a couple of things. Uh, One of them was Dakota Beavers, who plays Tabe, the older brother. Well, I shouldn't say older. It's not confirmed that he's her older brother. It's just, I couldn't see anything where it says, I think he is, but it's just not explicitly stated. So I don't want to go out and say that was a fact. He's definitely her brother. This was his first acting role. Whoa. So I think he did a really 
great job coming in and doing this, especially in a franchise movie that's got a lot riding on it when you really think about it. Any franchise movie comes with a ton of baggage. So he's not only signing up to be a fresh actor in a role, he's signing up to be a fresh actor in a Predator franchise. So good on him for doing that. I think that was really great. And then the other thing that was interesting was as this movie started, I wondered if they were going to do how they were going to do the language. So mm-hmm. I said, uh, I almost found myself at points wanting this to be dubbed just because it was so rich in what it was going to do with the, with this native American story. And I guess there is a version on Hulu where you can watch it in the Comanche language and yep. have it dubbed so you can read it. And that was an idea, but apparently the production along the way, they scrapped it for the idea of they wanted it to also be, have a mass appeal to everybody. So the thought was, we'll do it in English so that the, everything flows, the conversation flows and it's understandable, but they do come back to it every now and then. So you don't lose track of what you're seeing. So personally, weirdly enough, I really honestly think I would have liked this movie better with subtitles. Yeah. For that reason, it really would have helped me immerse in it. And then the other thing that caught me was there's a scene in this movie towards the end where Tabe's captured by, by the invaders uh, the French invaders, and they take a knife and draw it across his chest and cut him because they're torturing him and giving him the business. And it's came up later that Billy from the original Predator movie, There's something in those trees, has Comanche in his heritage. Yeah. And at the end of that movie, he faces the Predator. And when he does, he takes his machete and draws a line in the exact same place. On his oh, chest. And for years, God. from the minute he did it, I never understood why he did that particular move. I, never, I was like, I don't get it. Of course, they couldn't have known that now. But I think it might have been a neat thing if today's production had said, you know what? Let's just tie this back a little bit and be like, what if this was this? What if this was a story that was passed down to him of the Thunderbird through the generations and circle all the way back to Predator when he has his moment? He's going at it the same way. It came down the first time with that cut across his chest. I, I can't swear to it, but I like in my head canon, that's where that's going to live. But Bill, I'm going to support you on that because the whole framework in the beginning is there is a legend of a monster that came to us mm-hmm. and it's not a creature from outer space. It's just a monster. So that is absolutely a story that would have been told. And in the closing credits, we see the, the paintings. Uh, I don't know if they're not necessarily cave paintings, but they're they but they look similar. iconography yeah. similar yeah. to cave paintings that yeah. tell the story of the movie. Kind of kind of like in the eighties when you'd get the the rap song that recaps <laughs> the movie you just watched. Yeah, you you want that city of crime rap song to wrap up your dragnet credit. Uh, just on that, I remember that there was a "Whoop There It Is" version of the Adams family. Family Adams family, <laughs> Adam's family Whoop. Family, new baby in the house makes three. Wednesday, Pugsley learned you ring. Yep. Fest up, grandmama, and things. Wait, can't forget cousin it. Tag team reps, another party hit. Come it's on. the Adams Family movie theme. Gomez Morticia, come on, sing. And although that was 90s, I still I love that they were riding that wave as long as they could. This is why you stay for the credits. Always stay for the credits. If you learn nothing else from the internet, stay for the credits. One of the reviews I read said, the last scene of the film is Nauru says, we have to move to uh, protected ground, easily protected ground because danger is coming. And the reviewer is like, we don't know if that means the French trappers or if it means the predators. The final image in the cave paintings is multiple ships from outer space. 
yeah, from, from yeah. the Predator planet. But we don't know if they're going to menace or if they're just there to reclaim the dead. I think I think the nobility of the Predator species as we know them is that they are hunters. And it's like, he knew what he was getting into when he came to this planet. He's dead. That's on him. We don't fault you for defending yourselves. We're going yeah. to bring his corpse home now. Yeah, I'll back that up because otherwise this is an advanced race. They would have just come and eliminated everybody Oh yeah, on day one. So. It, yeah, it's, it's not really, about eliminating. No, it's, it's, about it's not hunting. about eliminating. But I think it's really important when you write these kind of movies that, to set those kind of limits because that frameworks everything and it will make the incredible make sense within its own universe. And then you can always just truck along with it and go, that's what they do. That's why they're doing it. That makes sense. You know, Kevin, you brought it up because that was part of my last note here. And I don't know how long it's been since you've seen Predator 2, but at the end of Predator 2, Danny Glover cop extraordinaire who can fight a predator even better than schwarzenegger for some reason in the highest uh, of pants yeah <laughs> in the best of <laughs> looking, looking so um, fly in a futuristic 1997 okay so the flintlock pistol that we see dated 1715 with name rafael adelini engraved on it was given to danny glover's character at the end of predator 2 when he gets on the ship. They're like, you are a worthy warrior. Here's a gift. And so this implies in those cave painting type drawings that with more predators coming, at some point something happens between the end of this movie, Predator 1, sure, but we don't see it happen, and the end of Predator 2, that some other predators have come and reclaimed that pistol and got it back as a prize from someone. And I want to know that story. And I think there was written about in the comics, but I have yet to read that at this point. I kind of want uh, I want to make a reference to a, a Robert Altman light film from the 90s called 20 Bucks. But I don't know that anyone listening has heard of it. The, the structure is it's basically like Robert Altman's shortcuts where it's about all these loose, disconnected threads of narratives. But there's a $20 bill that keeps being handed off from person to person, which ties the vignettes together. Like there is a whole movie of how that pistol made its way through civilizations. That is very astute. And maybe we'll have to add 20 bucks to a bonus episode at the end of this series. <laughs> this is incredible. And the only thing that's even more incredible, guys, is as we move through this series, we move to the next segment, which we call Settle the Score. This is the part of the show that I shoehorned in, no matter what Rob said, where we talk about the music of the movie. I love soundtracks, themes. I love all that stuff. I think the music is just as big a character in a movie as the actors and the director and everybody else. And I love it when it makes an impact. So especially in a franchise movie, and you'll see in later episodes, we like to follow along with how these things go along with the Predator series. For this one, the music was done by, and I hope I get this right, Sarah Schauschner, I believe is how it's pronounced. If not, I apologize. Uh, she's an accomplished musician, worked in a bunch of TV, films, and video games. She does a thing with this movie that I have asked for all through the series, and you'll hear it in later episodes. The Predator 1 soundtrack, the music that goes with it, the cues. Of course, it sets the tone. All first movies do. You hear it. That's what you think of. That can be 
used too much. It can be used too little. As the franchise went along, I was not a big fan of the music as it went. It either was in impactful or I felt stolen valor in a lot of places. They would play it for what I thought at the wrong times for the wrong people, or it's just, you've heard it so many times. You're like, well, I hear that beat. I think of Schwarzenegger. When I hear that sound in that way, that's the predator sound. And if you get that wrong, it just clangs really hard. But this soundtrack went its own way in a lot of ways. I didn't even pick up on any previous notes or themes or anything in the music that had come before this. There was no telltale, that's a predator lick that I could hear in there very well. It it told its own story, and I was very appreciative of that. That way, it made this movie even newer to me and allowed it to be something where I could just keep watching it and it build its own story. The only thing I had a problem with is I think it still hits a little tropey in places. It's there. It's not super heavy and it's not super offensive. It's just something I picked up on. And there are points in this movie, especially because there's 50 minutes of this movie that happened before we get to like a real predator moment. So it's a long trick and it's good in this sense because we're learning about these people and we're caring about them, which is something a lot of movies skip over. They're just like, here they are. You should care. And I'm like, why? And right out of the gate, that's a problem for me. Some of it's a little documentary happy, like a lot of the long panning shots over top of the forest and everything like that. They're nice and great. But I honestly think for a predator movie where we're trying to build suspense and tension, like in the first movie, it was a lot of quiet time, especially with the predator. His soundtrack is his the sound he makes as he moves through the jungle, as he looks through his vision. And I'm like, I've been in the forest by myself. I've been on trips and things like that. And if you're just standing there and, it, and there's nothing but the natural sound, it's creepy as hell. It really is. It can scare the crap out of you in broad daylight. And I think this movie could have used more of that. I wish the soundtrack had cut out in a lot of places and just let this movie be because that really would have added to like a forest feel and, and I'm trapped out in the wilderness type of feel. I'm on my own type of thing. And you know, and we in the audience know what's out there, but Nehru doesn't and the tribe doesn't. And that would really, I think, build a lot more tension specifically in that because we do wait so long to see some predator stuff. But other than that, thanks for not stealing the theme, everybody. That was really great. I, I just want to push back a little bit. I think there's a difference between like in Star Trek when they start playing like the pure mood soundtrack and lay on something on an alien culture that is very 90s or whatever. And right. in this one, it feels like we're trying to immerse ourselves a little bit more in a world. But I do understand where you're saying that like the soundtrack doesn't quite end. You know, it kind of like keeps going. But one thing I really did like was like the heavy use of drums in this movie. Almost like certain times I could not differentiate between like the stomp of a predator foot. Like, is that the predator coming or is that just a slow nervousness that I'm getting from just hearing the soundtrack in the forest? But I do think. I completely agree with you, Bill, that I did want a little bit more silence. Like sometimes when sound or music cut out, I'm thinking especially during the bear fight scene, that mm -hmm. was terrifying. And I didn't need anything else to help me with the terrifyingness, <laughs> terrifyingness of that scene. It was just violent enough. And of course, my mother and Mrs. Colombo were watching the movie with me and... <laughs> 
there's also the side comments of like, this is incredibly violent. That I'm like, I know, I know. Just let me, I'm trying to immerse myself in this world. Uh, so I had another soundtrack in there as well, but, or commentary, if you will. Uh, but I, I'm totally with you on about 90% of what you said. I think it just really helped me get into the world of this movie, which I know, I know that's scoring 101, right? <laughs> but, uh, but what I really appreciate by being a period piece is it ruled out the possibility of any obnoxious overdone needle drops. Yes. And I, I would love to see a cut of the film where they put in Creedence Clearwater Revival's <laughs> Run Through the Jungle, you know, all these songs that have been used over and over again that uh, to, to a point Bill made earlier, it just, it reminds me of the song being used in other films and it just, is going to bring that other film into it when I'm trying to focus on the film that's right in front of me. Uh, and it begs a comparison. I really didn't like when I saw um, Kong Skull Island that the producers just bought, give us the 1960s package of songs because we have to play these songs every three minutes to remind everyone this movie takes place in the 1960s. Like, yeah, we get it. We yeah. get it. That's we what I call it. 70s music score. Oh, William four. Yeah. Um, and then likewise, it was it was a little jarring. Uh, my wife and I saw Thor Love and Thunder and she came out of it like, oh, right. 80s metal is considered oldies music now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's jarring. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say, this is completely a tangent that that is not so much related to Predator, but just on the topic of overused songs for film fans and viewers of a certain age. If you're like me, you never need to hear Born to be Wild used in a movie ever again, right? Nope. Ever again. Nope. Not that long ago, I, I got a DVD of uh, this Martin Mull movie, Serial, S-E-R-I-A-L, and it's from 1980, maybe 81. And there's a very long sequence when Martin Mull is on a motorcycle and we hear possibly Born to be Wild played in its entirety. Oh God! And it was like, my God, they really went for it. And I looked it up. It was the first time the song had been used outside of Easy Rider. So the the filmmakers must have just made a feast out of it. Like people are going to be laughing so hard. We we got to let it play out because it's gonna it's the cornerstone of the movie. Oh my God! Wow. Born to Be Wild is being uh. used in a comedic vein. I love it. So much is lost culturally when you go back and watch films 20, 30 years ago. And, and like you don't understand the reference they're trying to make half the time unless you actively know what's going on. And that is a mind blower. Like, yeah, most people would just brush that off because yeah. of how many times we've heard Born yeah. to be Wild or uh, Big Girls Don't Cry when someone <laughs> smashes their thumbs in a trunk of a car or something, you know. Oh. All right, quick question for you then, Rob, because I'm going to add my song. If I never have to hear Let My Love Open the Door every time, anytime something sexy, romantic, quasi-carnal happens in a movie, that'd be great for me. What's your one song you want to put in moratorium? Oh, I I think I'm going to have to go with The Big Girls Don't Cry because okay. it is it is the let's signal to children that something silly is going to happen when an adult has to show emotions, but also the parents get it. Awesome. It's usually played for about five seconds to yeah. just put the exclamation point on that moment, like yeah. a Born to be Wild or a Let My Love Open the Door. Yeah, the it same is. amount of time it, it takes to say, oh, no. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, just let me get through the scene. Uh, the last thing I just want to say about sounds in general on this is there was one point where the predator drops his bomb from the arm digital readout thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, yeah, these uh, voyeurs have no idea what a beeping sound is. So they would be mesmerized. They've never even had to conceive of an electronic noise at all. So why why would they run away? Why would they do that? They would be more interested in what's going on than afraid of it, I think. Eh, I would probably be terrified of a big monster's lurking around and then drop something making a foreign noise, but I at least buy it in the film. Yeah, when my TA gets two double spikes through the chest, that's going to make me not care about the lesson plan anymore. I'm out. <laughs> All right, Bill, what do we have next on the uh, docket in the manila folder of this episode? Well, now's the time where we go through and we look at the movie and pick out who's having them some fun. Who's going to have them some fun? Which actor stood out as having the most fun, enjoyed themselves? And it doesn't even necessarily have to be an actor or cast member. It could be an element of the movie that's having itself the most fun. I'll go first on this round, gentlemen. As you can see in the bottom corner of my video, those of you also listeners who have uh, paid to see this video feed <laughs> of a podcast, um, I have a dog that looks very similar to Sari, the dog who follows Naru throughout this whole film. And I just have to say that although I'm biased because I love my dog as my own personal son, uh, I have to believe that Sari is having the most fun because they don't have that pesky existential dread of thinking about aliens and monsters in a world. So although it feels the threat, it knows it needs to hunt. It knows it needs to preserve its own life. It doesn't have this extra waning thought of what the hell is this monster? Because to him, it might as well be the bear or the rattlesnake or anything else. And it just wants to do what needs to be done to save its life and to stay by its companion. So sorry was who was going to have the most fun for me. How about you, Kevin? There is an actor who I don't think I'd ever seen in anything before. His name is Mike Patterson. And he plays a character who is listed in the credits as Big Beard. <laughs> and it's just that was the one performance where I don't think uh, I don't think Dan Trachtenberg as the director ever said, yeah, maybe dial it down a little. I think your big, obnoxious French villain is a bit much here. Let's dial it down. He just <laughs> went for it. He brought it to a 10 and never, never dropped it down, whether he was panicking about having a rat gnawing on his stump of a leg or or if he was threatening uh naru when she was in the little cage he would he was just awful and i think what's so funny is as an american viewer you see it and you're like yeah those french are villains they're the worst <laughs> and then later naru's brother talks about how oh yeah white men they're awful i was like oh right as far as you're concerned we're all the same we are mm -hmm. all big beard yep. Yep, everyone's and, a big and, beard. And that was that was my wake-up call, like, oh, you're the ones who skilled who skinned the buffalo. Oh, we're the white men. Yeah. Oh, we are no better than those French trappers. And I also appreciate that it reminds me kind of 
the structure I love from RoboCop, where RoboCop is fighting criminals on the street as well as the OCP corporation. That it's got he's taken it at both ends. That I love in this movie that Nauru is dealing with a predator, French trappers, a grizzly bear, a brown bear, some kind of giant bear, and the men in her tribe who think she shouldn't be out in the field, she should be cooking. Yeah. Like she's up against it, Robocop style. And handles handles herself. Man, now if we could get a prequel to Robocop set 300 years in the past. <laughs> oh, God. I just wanted to see the story of Big Beard. And I like, I I think you're right, Kevin. Like, the guy would never need a subtitle. And if they were, they got to be all caps. You <laughs> don't stick need the cigar in his mouth. Yeah. He's just like, ah. You don't need to know what he's actually saying in your own language. You get it. He's an ass. That's how that rolls. He reminds me of the dude yeah. in Blade 2. Bill, you remember that guy? <laughs> oh, yeah. He was my who was having some fun from that episode. So, oh, absolutely. well, we'll get there in the future. He will. Um, anyway, Bill, how about you? Uh, Rob, you can ring the bell because we've got a double down because my pick was also Sorry the Dog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the dog mugs the camera. The dog gives you emotion. The dog acts. The dog does action scenes. It's just. It's it's the element of there's always seems to be a lot of times in a lot of movies where they'll give you an element to identify with. And for some reason, I think it's the dog for us. Like we're looking at him going, yep, yep, you're right. This is insane. The thing you're looking at trying to tell them, yep, this is bad. They need to run, run now. And that dog gives it its all. It attacks the bear, it attacks the predator. And you're always on the fence with a loved animal in a movie because you're thinking this is a movie where things take it down, man, please don't. <laughs> is the dog going to get it? So you care about him and you care about this dog really hard. So all of, all of the props in the world go to sorry, the dog. Ah, I love it. You know what else I love the next segment? It's called playback time. <laughs> And this is a standout moment in the film that we would watch over and over again. Like when the DVD player had the A, B button where you could just hit A and then hit B at the end of it and it would just loop it back around. Uh, it's also the scene you might show someone who's on the fence of watching the film. But you're like, watch this and you'll want to see the rest of it. Bill, was there one that jumped out to you for playback time? Oh, absolutely. My playback time moment is when the rescue party has found Nauru and they first take on the predator in a multi group of people. So they go to town and it is a big fight scene and it's really cool. You get to see all these native American warriors going up against this big beast. It's kind of the promise of the movie. When you first see it, when you first saw the trailers, uh, as much as you can pick out of a movie for a lot of things, when it comes down to it, you want that bullet point of no matter what else you're going to see, you're going to see this. You're going to see the Predator go up against some stuff. And they really throw down a fight scene that is pretty awesome. So that is one I would watch on playback. And if somebody was on the fence to it, I'd be like, dude, just watch a couple of minutes of this and tell me you can't run to Hulu and hit that button right now. So it's yeah. amazing. Awesome. Kevin, how about you? Uh, I love that scene. That's definitely on my on my list of playbacks. I'll, I'll probably rewatch the whole movie. But the scene where she's pulling the arrow back to shoot the bear is just fascinating because it, it playfully brings up an anecdote from earlier in the movie about the bowstring getting wet, a story she was ignoring. And now it's bitten her in the ass because her bowstring got wet when she was about to fire an arrow at the bear. 
but it also foreshadows the the bow breaking is like when she goes to fire the gun the first time and the gun doesn't work later in the film. It's just a great suspenseful moment of like, you've got the upper hand. Oh, no, you don't. And immediately just being being caught up in the drama of Nauru, of Sari, of the bear, uh, just really, really well done. Good, good bear CGI. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's there's a lot going for it. And like, yeah, that could just be a standalone scene you could show to somebody and they're like going to be caught up in this world of the movie immediately. And we haven't even gotten to the Predator yet. Absolutely. Like that is, I'm right there with you. Both of those scenes, guys, were on my list. Another one on my list was when they go back to the French trappers camp and they have to battle the predator between brother and sister. I thought that was so much fun. And, you know, the more I talk about it, like that was going to be my scene, my playback time. But I also really, really like the scene with the bobcat towards the beginning, right? Where they lay the trap for the bobcat that then becomes this this set piece and this theory and this way that they start working with, whether it be the predator, the, the next time they encounter it to try and trap it, whether it's the time when they're with the French people and are trying to get the predator. But the visual language of trying to kill this bobcat and then we see this tree with no leaves on it in the background and then she gets distracted with the spaceship coming through the atmosphere was so beautiful that I was like, I want to watch this again. It's going to be the scene I go try and find, uh, you know, see if anyone talks about just because of how they shot it, what it looks like. I honestly think the CGI in this movie was done very well in terms of animals because animals are, tough especially wild animals that people see in nature documentaries all the time can you tell that it's done by computers sure but i think if this was shot in 1980 could someone have told that was a computer generated thing not at all and especially after seeing nope and how they did the chimpanzee in that movie and i won't say anything else about that film like this is at that level and i wouldn't take that argument so that scene with the bobcat terrifying i think this is one other thing i brought up jaws earlier and i think it also the film reminds me of jaws in the sense that the non-shark scenes in jaws are compelling and character driven and it's like rich getting to know the community of amity island it's the same thing happening in prey that even when the predator's not there there's so much going on there's so much to care about and to watch it's it's really impressive movie it's so good bill you know what impresses me this next segment you came up with called Time to Bleed. Now we're getting to the end of the episode. We're almost at the point where we give our final thoughts and Bill has chosen a rating system for us. But before we get there, we have to get gruesome. This is a violent movie. The people I was watching it with me wouldn't let me forget how violent the movie was. But what on-screen death made the most impact to you all and why. And I'll go first because Bill's already mentioned the scene, and that is when all of the Comanche hunters take on the Predator. I It's hard for me to imagine a more violent scene in this movie than the Predator chopping off arms and taking out hearts 
and just spinning around and I'm going to kill this guy and now spinning around and I'm going to kill this guy. It was intense. Uh, how about you, Kevin? That scene is phenomenal. There's so many, I, I hate to say good murders, that's sure. that, but there's so many great uh, kills in that scene. And almost immediately after that is Naru running through the tall grass with the predator behind her, who you don't see the predator, you just kind of see the shape of it and uh, and the grass moving aside. And it catches up with the guy who was in the rescue party who was with her. And he gets killed, and the camera is kind of like way up high. Yes. And we've seen so many of these murders where the camera is kind of like ground level, kind of a, like a low angle looking up. And this was a completely new way to see the destruction and how close she is to it and, and how dangerously close the predator is coming to get her. Uh, and it's used really fleetingly, but that that high angle shot was beautiful. Oh, really, really so was. good. It, it really so was. Good. It actually, now that you've described it back to me, I finally put a finger on the feeling I was feeling it was hopelessness. Like you see how big that field is and how far she's got and how open an exposure. It's a it's just a hopeless situation. And it really kind of gets you when you get it from that angle. So it's really amazing. Man, Bill, how about you? What was yours? Well, my time to bleed comes from that same scene, but I think for a slightly different reason than any of you would guess. So one of the warriors in that scene is Wasapi. He's mm -hmm. the one with the bright red shock of hair. In, yeah. And there yeah. played by, I'm hoping I say this right, Strom Kippy is the name, I believe, of the actor. And the second that I saw him, I went, he's Rufio from Hook. He has wow. such a strong resemblance hair-wise to Rufio from that movie. I was just thinking, oh, my God, I love that character in that movie. I love his, what he does. And you feel so bad for the way he winds up. And I'm like, this is like seeing Rufio all over again. So those two things crossed paths for me, and I was like, oh, no, I just figured it out. Boom, and then all hell broke loose on top of him, and I'm like, no, not again. Don't make me live through this horror again. Come on. The Predator so, is quite the Captain Hook. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he really is. He, he, he took him out pretty big-time style, but it also was that kind of thing that I won from a Predator movie was one way or another I cared about this person, and the Predator took them away. Yeah. So it was a really, really jarring moment for me. So that is my time to plead. I think it's time to get to the debriefing. Let's give our final thoughts. We'll do a quick couple of sentences around the table, and then Bill will end with you, and you will give us a rating system on what we will rate this on, on one to five things. Uh, I'll go first. I think they did a really good job for a movie they knew that was going to go to streaming, but I would have, and we talked about this in the email chain, it would have been so great to see this film on like an IMAX or at least in a big screen somewhere. And I know they did screenings of it at like Comic-Con and some other press events and stuff, but not being able to be your average viewer and being able to see this in theaters like every single other Predator film. I mean, if Alien versus Predator colon Requiem got to be seen in a big screen, one day I hope we get to see Prey in the big screen. I think it was done well. I think the story, for, for what the story was, how they did it, and what they wanted to communicate, they made a great Predator film. 
Uh, they did a unique take on the Predator itself. It didn't look like every other Predator. As we learned, each Predator looks a little different anyway. Even within the universe of the Predator films, this is 300 years in the past. So the technology would have been 300 years in the past for the Predator itself. Still futuristic, but different enough. It wasn't like we got uh, 1999 Predator in a 1700s Predator film. I thought it was just enough, done well, and I will be watching the movie again. I loved it. How about you, Kevin? Here's my quote for uh, the poster. Not just a great Predator movie, a great movie, period. Don't have to limit it to the scope of, on a scale of the Predator to Predator. Um, I, I have not seen the Predator, so I apologize if I was I was putting that at one end of the uh, second. No, you're fine. Um, yeah, you're good. <laughs> really, really like it, really enjoyed it. The question that uh, got at me regarding the 1700s, and again, I'm I'm just being a big nerd over complicating things. Early in the film, there's a white tail deer who Naru is chasing after. Chasing the deer, hunting the deer, immediately reminded of the very end of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where the children have grown into adults and they're going to hunt the white stag, which leads them back to where they came from and they come out the wardrobe. Um, and that just got me thinking about the idea of like, you know, kind of traveling through worlds, dimensions, and time. And we know the predator comes to this planet. Is the predator traveling through time? Oh, wow. Is the predator not just traveling through space, but traveling through time and space, which is, it's not just like, oh, we're this advanced while you're still in 18th century North America. Is it, is the predator from the future? I don't know. I think that I like complicates that. It. Well, but also we don't know anything about the yeah, home world, right, like which we've talked about before. We don't know about accountant predator and we don't know about bow tie wearing predator playing the piano for all of his friends at the predator bar. We don't know any of that. And I love the idea of being able to travel even dimensionally with the predator. Yeah. I that think is, there's, there's one thing we can all agree on that on the predator's home planet, they released this film theatrically. Absolutely. They are an advanced <laughs> civilization. They're like, sure. this is a beautiful looking movie with uh, known characters. It's a winning franchise. This deserves to be in theaters. Ugh. Bill, what do you got for us? And then what rating system do you have? Well, I think if we ever do get a sequel where we see the Predators pass some red electroids, we will know that they go through dimensional shifts. That would be mm -hmm. good. This was a fun movie. It's a good movie. It is a good Predator movie, but it is just a good movie. It's got an amazing look to it. It's rich on screen. It does seem like a real shame that you can't see this on the big screen because they put a lot of love and effort to it, especially with all these sweeping outdoor action, which is just immense. It's it's not all CGI'd. It's real, and it really shines through. Uh, they did a thing where, with this movie, this could be your first, quote, Predator movie, unquote, and it would be fine. It would be great because it's a, it would be a great launching point into this series to want to backtrack and see the other stuff that comes before it or comes after it, depending on how you want to look at it. It really shows that this is a franchise that has a very specific way that you can carry it on. And the idea of the Predator, at the end of the day, simplistic in its goal for the Predators that hunt. You know, they only do a certain thing. So you have to kind of spice it up with 
different locations, different times. You could do all these things. And all the other sequel movies, in my opinion, fell into the trap of in there, build the team, kill the team, one person left. And wash, rinse, repeat, live, die, repeat, if you want to do it that way. <laughs> and that wears on a thing. And I don't think that will build your franchise in a significant way. I think it does it the way we've all done it, which is if you see the movie, you go out, you buy the toys, and you make your own story up. You take it home, and you have it fight your Star Wars figures. And what if it fought this? And what if it fought that? And it can always be different because I, it's not just the team that needs to be different. This is a culturally different movie. It's, it's a whole new ball game to put the Predator up against a different culture than we've seen. You've seen a diverse team. Now you've seen an, a team made up of one culture, but a diverse culture that we don't know that much about or hadn't seen before or think we know, which is also an interesting thing to know. So I think the movie's great. It's a, it's a wonderful thing for that. The one thing that at first I felt this way, and I don't feel this way now after talking to both of you about it, I felt like the thing that I wanted to see was more that and when I first watched it, I'm like, well, I wish this movie had been more of the tribes coming together because the predator is an advanced creature. And if it really wanted to, it could fire up its shoulder laser and wipe out everything in four seconds. Code or no code. Why does it do that? So the idea of it being like this one thing is a massive, a massive threat that all these people have to come together and it takes all of them to kill it instead of just wiping out the team. I was thinking, well, I would rather have seen that movie. But now what I'd like to see is that be the next movie. I think mm. it would be an interesting thing to carry along because now you've got this tribe seeing the Predator. There are many other tribes with many other ways of doing things. And now you've got, you know, you've got the, the white man coming for your land. You've got the French trappers. You've got, you're going to have good people that come in. There's going to be good settlers that you could marry up with. And you, this is a thing that could repeat in so many different eras. So. I am really glad that this movie happened to show that like this creature, this subject can live on and it can live on successfully if you don't just live, die, repeat the original movie. Take it somewhere else. Make it new. Make it your own thing. One last thing. No more movie quotes. No more. If it bleeds, we can kill it. That's the only thing that shot me right out of this movie immediately. I'm like, nope. No movie. No, you were doing so well. I think they did a good job of keeping that to one line. It, it, yeah. I'm thankful for that. I mean, yeah. it, it did work where he said it. It worked yeah. in there well, but it's, it wasn't shoehorned. It no, was. it wasn't shoehorned. It made perfect sense. But yeah, uh, so I really encourage people to give this movie a real try. It's not just another Predator movie. It's not just another sequel. It's really good. Yeah. And what are we going to rate this one, Bill? Well... The segment is called Late Fees, and we don't want to be late. We got to no. rate. No, you don't want to be late. You want to be kind. You want to rewind. Get your stuff back on time. So this movie uh, is a stripped-down movie. So there's not a lot of things in a normal Predator movie. There's all kinds of doodads and things that call back and look at. There was really only one thing for me that shot out and stayed with me this whole movie. It's the boomerang hatchet. When she invents oh. the boomerang hatchet, I was like, yep, yep. Like that, like that yep. a lot. It you was know, like Travis Bickle practicing <gasps> with the gun in his <laughs> arm. Absolutely. It is absolutely that moment. It's just like, oh man, she's gone part Batman, part it's part Spider-Man, it's part <laughs> James Bond. It's a total like, check it out, Q. We've made this thing over here. So, you know, it's a repeating throwing weapon. Not something you see every day. And it's something I definitely want to go out back in the yard and hurt myself with. <laughs> So on a scale of one to five boomerang hatchets, how many of those would you give up 
to be able to watch Prey on your gone back in time and we've created a VHS copy <laughs> for one more day. And we'll start with you, Robs. You know, I'm going to have to say that it's difficult in a five rating to say, you know, once you get below four, how quickly are you to two, right? And then two in everyone's mind is like, oh, this is so bad. But I think I can safely say that I'm going to give this a solid 3.75. So three hatchets and a couple of more blades tied to ropes, okay? I like the idea. I like the concept of the weapon. It doesn't quite get to a four for me, but a 3.75. And I and I am very pleased, and it is going to get a rewatch from me. How about you, Kevin? I'm going to give it four out of five. You know, just going back earlier to the question of uh, somebody watching it for the first time, my son is 14. I asked him to watch it with me. He's like, oh, but I haven't seen any of the other Predator movies. I said, I'm pretty sure you don't need to. And he really liked it, too. So just a, a one additional voice coming in. I didn't get his hatchet rating, but uh, he really liked it. I really liked it. I liked that I could watch it with him. So, yeah, four out of five. Awesome. Bill? I'm going to go four out of five, too. I mean, I can do as much damage with one boomerang hatchet as I can with five of them. Probably don't need to do any more than that. But it really surprised me how much I like this movie. And as much as I, I always want to give everything the fair shot. Of course, when you've been down the franchise road for this long, you can't help but sometimes wander in and go, man, is it really going to be any different? And it was. And I really appreciate that. It was a lot of fun. It's got rewatchability. It's got everything you want out of a fun movie. And it gives you also something to think about, which is a nice added bonus for the for the advanced humans that we are down the road as we're supposed to be in the it's from this movie. So yeah, definitely going to make it four and going to be very happy to watch it again and then just go out back and probably lose a limb predator style <laughs> when I throw my boomerang hatchet. So Bill, before we wrap up today, we like uh, to go Dutch on this and that's where we've answered and talked our thoughts but I've gotten a, a last-minute listener question come in on the line that I think we can quickly go around in a circle before we finish up today. And this is from Brian in Seattle. And Brian asks, where would you set a Predator film in time? And I'll tell you, I think I'd like to see an ancient Egypt Predator film. We could get a uh, Ten Commandments vibe filming style. And, uh, and I would really love that with the big matte paintings in the background. Uh, you could do a lot of fun things with film style as well as a Predator story. Uh, what about you, Bill? You know, I was thinking of this earlier, actually, because I know there's some fan films online that try to do this with different eras. My first knee-jerk reaction was Arthurian times, like Knights and Knights Templar and stuff like that. But I'm kind of thinking now that I might like to see something like ancient Nepal because that's something I haven't really seen a lot of in their culture and whatever. And now having seen Prey and doing a Predator movie based with a, a largely Native American slant to it, like I kind of know what knights look like. And I already have kind of an idea what that would be. But I would like to see something like that, something I haven't seen before and really dig into it. Like they did a great job with setting it in here for this movie. So let's see what they could do with uh, the other side of the world and see how they would take it on. How about you, Kevin? Well, twice in the movie, Naru gets knocked out 
and and wakes up from a blackout. And I was like, oh, this is kind of like an old film noir where the detective keeps getting <laughs> drugged or, you know, blackjack on the she back of the head. She gets Rockford Files hit. Doesn't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Totally gets Jim Rockford twice in this movie. Twice. And then and then Big Beard also gets knocked out and wakes up. So I just couldn't help but thinking it would be fun to see like a uh a gang a 1930s gangster movie with a detective <laughs> who uh the, before the predator is even seen on on screen, it's a dame, a femme fatale comes into a private detective's office and explains, you know, gives a half-baked suspicious story about my husband was <laughs> dragged away. I uh, love it. It's like watching sounds- Laura with a <laughs> predator. Yeah. They have a, yeah. have a line of like, you shouldn't stab me through the chest twice, Johnny. My predator <laughs> stabbed me twice. Once. I love it. This has been great, guys. And uh, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. What I'd like to ask you now is, is there anything you'd like to plug? Websites, things you've done in the past, other uh, video segments? Yeah, you can go to my website, lovekevin.com, to find out about live shows I'm doing with Kevin Geeks Out or different videos that I've produced. Uh, There's also a link to my book that's coming out in September. It's a book called Santa Doesn't Need Your Help. It's a children's, I don't want to say children's, it's a picture book for adults of all ages, grownups of all ages. That includes little kids. Uh, that's It's a funny Christmas book. And if you go over to AtomicAbe.com, that's where I'm making a lot of video essays with uh, my friend Nick and Tim. And we have a lot of great stuff coming up. It was, I said it was, it was a pleasure to get to watch a good movie, but I am like neck deep in research right now where I've been watching Brady Bunch spinoffs like all the subsequent Brady media. Uh, so what a great change of pace it was to go from Brady's melodrama, hour-long melodrama, to to watch Prey. Boy, this was this was such a great vacation for me. So thank you for that. Well, the Brady Bunch video will be coming out soon from AtomicGabe.com. Excellent. I can't wait to see it. Uh, I It makes me just think of the 90s remakes and about that horse. So I, yeah. I can't wait to learn more about the Brady Bunch that uh, comes between those remakes. Um, yeah, and on a personal note, I have been to your site. Please, everybody, go over and check it out. Kevin's oh, stuff is you. great. Your comedy shorts are amazing. And uh, if nothing else, please go watch the meditation video. It's just the best. <laughs> Love it so much. And we'll look forward to when Kevin writes Predator versus Brady Bunch coming your way, <laughs> 2032. Well, Bill, it's not every day that we get to have a guest on the podcast five episodes in or even a guest like on one of the biggest episodes we've ever done. Um, Kevin was awesome. I've been such a fan of his stuff for a while. And, you know, I didn't say it in the podcast, but this is the first time I've ever seen him screen to screen and communicated as not Twitter or Instagram friends. You know, he knows more about pop culture and the media that you and I like to talk about than I think anyone else I've ever met. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I delved into his stuff and I say, yeah, definitely go check out Kevin's sites, Kevin's videos. Grass, a lot of great stuff in there. He is a funny, funny guy and insightful and just genuinely nice. So thank you so much, Kevin. We really appreciate it. Yeah. We'll put a link to his site in the show description, along with the link to where you can watch this film uh, find out more about other podcasts on the Bridge Burner Collective of Podcasts. You know what else they can do, Bill? They can call the Adventure Line at 
213-545-6176. That's 213-545-6176 on the Adventure Line. Where does that ring, Bill? Uh, the Adventure Line rings out in a, in a clearing near a river that the phone is actually under a large pile of wood that Rob has to run past a very angry grizzly bear to get to. Yeah, and uh, watch out for that quicksand. Because yeah. uh, I can't hold my breath that long. No. Uh, Bill, people can also support this podcast and see the video of this episode at our Gumroad site. Link in the show description, billandrobs.gumroad.com. You can join our Discord. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram. It's all great. But now we got to say thank yous. And the big thank you goes to Draxium and Dr. Z for this theme song. It is rocking. I love it. Um, we can also thank Jothan for our show art, Mrs. Columbo for listening to these episodes and going two thumbs up or going two thumbs down. Go back and re-record that part about the grizzly bear. Okay, I guess we will. Yeah, she's a real <laughs> trooper. We really appreciate her sacrifice for putting up with us two doofuses <laughs> while we sit here and do this. <laughs> Got to thank Patrick for helping with the editing process throughout all of our episodes. It's nice to have someone do some clean cuts for us and then me to go in and do some mixing and mastering where I can. Uh, really speeds up the process. And Patrick's part of the Discord, so if you want to hear any other podcasts he creates, head in there. He'll, he'll send you the links. It's great. Am I missing anything, Bill? Uh, I think the only thing we need to tell everybody is please, if you're out there on the social medias, please like, share, subscribe, support, do all the things that we need. This is our currency is getting the word out so that people know about our show so we can get more listeners and has spread a much wider net, much like a predator net that is starts very small and then bursts forward to grab big, big, big amounts of support. So uh, French Rob and trappers. I, yeah. Right. Rob and I can, well, hopefully with a lot better, uh, a lot better track record than them yeah. on a lot of things, but yes. And, uh, it's, it's the best thing you can do. It's free. Just being able to support us and spread the word is the best. If you can, uh, drop us something financially, it is much appreciated. We are a very small operation. So every little bit helps. And like we always say, we don't have fans. We have friends. We consider you all friends. So please do that. And please communicate with us. Jump in the Discord, yeah. shoot us emails, let us know what you like, what you think is fun, what you'd like to hear us do, or just your general thoughts. We did all this for fun. We want everybody else to have it, and we enjoy hearing from you. Absolutely. Well, Bill, next week we hit Predator from 1987, where we have thoughts, but good Lord, we recorded that episode so long ago, it's going to feel so much fun to listen to it again after recording this episode with only like a five-day turnaround. Yeah, this is our quickest one. And I don't know about you, Robs, but I don't know if the Predators go through time-dimensional wormholes, but it kind of feels like we do on this series that we've done. So Ooh. it's going to be interesting when that one drops. We'll actually be listening to it like we've never heard it, I bet. it's it's uh, We're going to get to the chopper, and we're going to have a great time. Well, Bill, I'll see you then. See you, Robs. Robs.